Hello church, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Arcadia. We look forward to seeing you again in person really soon. And while many things have changed in our time, our calling and our unity as a church certainly has not. We remain gospel-centered, outward-focused, and believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So we're going to sing of God's goodness together. We're going to learn from his word. We're going to ask that the Holy Spirit would bear his fruit in our lives and change our hearts. And while we remain physically apart, we hope that you'll continue to stay in contact with us through social media, through texting, through calling, through Zoom, whatever it might be to stay in community in this time. You can find out more about us at arcadia.redemptionaz.com. Thank you for joining us. Let's worship together.
Good morning, Redemption Arcadia. My name is Sulai. Today's reading is from the Book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no, no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to, to pass judgment on, on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is concerned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Redemption Arcadia, it's good to be with you again this Sunday. I, I want to let you know that... Uh, this whole idea of talking to a camera for the last 10 weeks, the most awkward part of this for me is the first 20 or so seconds. So if you can just hang in, with there, in there with me for the next three seconds, we'll be okay, and then I'll be into this, and we'll be good. So we're in the middle of this little two-week mini-series on unity that's rooted in Romans chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. But also, as you're doing that, maybe you could watch this short, about 17-second video which I believe in a nonverbal way sums up exactly what we talked about last week about the way Christians handle these disputable matters. So here's a 17 second video for you to take a look at. Correspond with what we talked about last week in these disputable matters. When Christians get deeply involved, passionately involved in these disputable matters where we begin to despise one another, where we're judging and mocking one another, uh, essentially we get nowhere. And if you notice, the two gazelles were getting absolutely nowhere. They were working hard, they were fighting hard, pushing hard, but they were getting absolutely nowhere. Uh, the other part, the part that, of the video that I like the best, is the fact that Everyone who's watching these two fighting it out, they were horrified by what was going on, and they just ran away. And so we need to understand that that's part of our testimony when we get involved in these disputable matters the way we can. And, and it's not productive, it's not helpful, and it actually drives people away from the church. So a little review of last week where we covered the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 14. We titled that series, that message, Love Necessitates Humility of Opinions. And, and just let me give you some points from last week's message. 
uh, are divisions about these disputable matters, or more accurately, as we talked about last week, things indifferent. These are things that are indifferent to the essential nature of our salvation in Christ. But our divisions in these things indifferent often lead to judging and despising and mocking one another in the church. And we said that verse 3 in chapter 14 is the key to the whole thing, where Paul writes, Do not let the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And what we said was, put any of our issues into verse 3. Put anything in there that you want. Uh, put in there your political views. Put in there your views on justice. Put in there your views on church music and worship styles. Put in there your views on how different cities and states are handling the virus situation. Put in there, especially now, this seems to be the hot topic this last week, put in there your views on whether or not you should be wearing a mask and where you should be wearing a face covering. By the way, <clears throat> we Christians could also put in there what we eat and drink and what we do with our bodies as well. We 21st century Christians are not immune to those same first century disputes about what we're eating and what we're putting into our bodies. So we Christians have disputes about veganism and beer and wine and whiskey and caffeine and meat and vaccines. I mean, we go at it on all of these things. So <clears throat> there are contemporary issues that maybe Rome didn't deal with but we've also got some of the same issues as Rome. We need to remember that this, this word of God, what Paul is writing here and what we find in the other 65 books in the Bible, uh, the, the word of God is timeless. It's produced by a God who is timeless. And that means that it's timeless for us. We're going to be able to apply it all the time. So what is an issue in Romans chapter 14 is this idea of judging and mocking. Some people are judging others. Those people who are being judged are returning with uh, that judgment with mocking. And Paul looks at both factions, judging and mocking, and he says, you're all just despising one another, which is not good. That's not gospel love. And we need to remember that unity is not found in agreement, but it is rather based on lordship. Unity is not found in agreement. We're not trying to get everybody to agree with everybody else on all these issues, but rather to understand that our lordship comes from Christ and we have that in common. Our lordship is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that these aggressive disputes about really temporal things that aren't essential to salvation, that aren't necessarily essential to our faith, and often these disputes break relationships, it's really nothing more than spiritual warfare. We need to understand that. It destroys the church. It destroys those who are in the church. And we need to remember that Paul is not saying that one is correct and the other is wrong. He's rebuking both factions in the church, both sides of the argument, because of their lack of gospel love. It, it, we need to remember, this is huge. This is not a content problem. You are to have opinions. You are to have positions. It's not a content problem, but rather your attitude in how you're presenting your content, your positions. And let me also just caution us against this approach, because I've seen this approach many, many times. Some people will, will think that they have solved the problem in these disputable matters by taking an open-handed issue where there is some debate and suddenly, out of nowhere, declaring that it is now a closed-handed issue, thus refusing to allow any discussion or debate on the issue. Can't do that either. 
And I know that uh, engenders the question then, and it's the right question and a good question. Well, well then what are the open-handed issues and what are the closed-handed issues? So first, let me talk to those of you who are part of Redemption Church. If you're wondering where Redemption Church stands on our open-handed and closed-handed issues, I would direct you to our website and look at our membership packet. It's very clear in our packet what we consider to be closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. But that's not necessarily enough. I think you can also get a wider view of what might be closed-handed and open-handed issues if you also look at the historical church and look at how the church historically over the centuries has handled these issues as, as, as they have come up in the past. Where has the church landed on issues when they have come up? And believe me, this is one of the other problems that we run into. I have conversations like this all the time and they're very frustrating. Many, many people believe they are convinced that somehow their issue that they're arguing is the one issue that the church has never dealt with before or the church has never dealt with before in, through a lens that they have somehow found. In other words, their lens for dealing with this issue has never been discovered by anybody else in the history of the church. Uh, not only is, I would say, is that arrogant, but it also betrays the fact that you're, you're not familiar with church history and you should remember what Solomon says repeatedly in Ecclesiastes. He says there is nothing new under the sun. We think we're dealing with something new. Uh, C.S. Lewis used to call it chronological snobbery. Because we're alive today and we're dealing with something today, that automatically, without any other criteria, makes us smarter than anybody who has lived before us. And that's just not true. So there's your review of last week. Now, this week, these divisions that judging and mocking Christians do during these disputable matters, they become stumbling blocks, not only to believers, those who are in the church who are on the periphery of these discussions, but it also becomes a stumbling block to non-believers. I mean, remember the video. The, the gazelles are fighting and all the other animals start running away in horror because it's just not pleasant. This is not a good testimony of gospel love to anybody. Paul reminds us uh, in Galatians, he, sa he says, you know, you shouldn't be biting and devouring one another because you're just going to destroy each other and destroy the church in doing that. So, two sections of scripture that we'll look at today. We're looking at verses 13 through 23. The first section of scripture, we'll look at the first seven verses. So, seven, uh, chapter 13, verses, thir uh, sorry, chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. Paul writes, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is aggrieved, is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do, you, do not <clears throat> destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. A lot of good stuff there to unpack. And I just wanna, I want you to recall what we talked about last week, the two factions uh, in the church in Rome were first the Jews, and Paul calls them the weak, not because they're immature, but
but because their understanding of who Christ is uh, is not sufficient enough. They believe that uh, it's not enough to just believe in Jesus. They also have to fall, follow the Mosaic law. And so Paul says that they are weak in their belief in Jesus. And then the other faction would be the Gentiles. And it's the Jews who are judging the Gentiles for their lack of following the law. And it is the Gentiles who are mocking the Jews for not understanding their freedom in Christ. And so there are four things that we can look at in these seven verses. First of all, Paul spent much of verses 1 through 12 in chapter 14 getting after the Jews, getting after the weak faction for their judgmental attitude. He wants an attitude adjustment for the Jews. Yes, he pushed on the other faction as well in those first 12 verses. He pushed on the Gentiles, but mostly it was kind of harsh time for the Jewish faction. But here, in these subsequent verses that we're looking at today, he makes the case to the Gentiles that they also need an attitude adjustment. Second thing in these verses, I hope we understand that the stumbling block language here is a metaphor. Again, some historical context for us. In the back of Paul's mind, and in the minds of those that he's writing, they know about the literal stumbling blocks that God speaks against. Uh, one of the most important passages in the, the Old Testament is actually Leviticus. I know some of you are going to have to get the pages in your Bible unstuck to be able to look at uh, something in Leviticus. But if you could turn to Leviticus chapter 19, uh, one of the most important passages in the Old Testament is Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. And the reason it's so important is because it provides us with the background and the context for when Jesus is asked in the New Testament, what is the greatest of all commandments? And he says the greatest of all commandments is to love uh, the Lord God and love your neighbor as, as yourself. So here's what's written in Leviticus 19. And we'll find this stumbling block uh, notion here. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes in your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. If you're, if you're somebody who's um, well off enough to have land and to have harvests and to have vineyards, there's got to be some left over for those who aren't as blessed as you are. And so be a blessing to those who aren't blessed in that way. That's what God is saying. Verse 11. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your, the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Notice how God keeps saying, I am the Lord. You need to look to me first. That's why uh, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're getting to the neighbor part in a second. Verses 13 and 14. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Pay people what they are owed as quickly as you can. That's just the right thing to do. And then verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Why does God say this? Does he really have to say, look, don't put a huge rock in front of somebody who's blind, they might trip over it. Isn't that just obvious? Well, believe it or not, in their context, that was one way that people would make 
sport of other people. They would make fun of other people. It was kind of a game. They would, they would curse the deaf because the deaf couldn't hear the curses. So they thought that was fun. And then if there was a blind person walking around, it was kind of fun to make the blind person trip. Do not put a stumbling block in front of the blind. That's just not what you're supposed to do if you're a God lover. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You should not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you should not, and you should not stand up against the wife of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So. This is part of Jesus' great commandment. The greatest of all commandments is to not put a stumbling block in front of other people. And when we are despising each other in the church, when we're mocking and judging each other, we're putting stumbling blocks in front of people uh, in their path to truth, in their ability to go and find what is the truth. Jesus is not that attractive to people who are constantly arguing and quarreling with each other. Uh, and by the way, that's not the only uh, place where uh, Paul talks about the stumbling blocks. It's also reminiscent of Ezekiel uh, chapter 14. I, I mean, in the Bible, it's talked about the stumbling blocks. Ezekiel 14, God says to Ezekiel in the Old Testament, when someone values something too much, it becomes, in a sense, an idol or a false god, which then becomes a stumbling block to those who have faith. If we, if, if we seem to be worshiping things other than God, that's going to be a stumbling block to people and their faith in uh, God. So Paul hates stumbling blocks, and despising one another in disputable matters is a stumbling block. And this language resonates with the people who read this letter in Paul's day, and it should resonate with us today. Paul says to the Gentiles, our freedom in Christ without the constraining power of the resurrected Christ can indeed become an idol. Our freedom can become license and that can be a problem and thus cause others to fall. And Paul speaks of this current stumbling block specifically in verses 14 and 15 where he writes, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's clean. This meat isn't unclean, guys, but if you think it's unclean, we need to deal with that issue. For if your brother is, is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do you see how love becomes the centerpiece for how we're supposed to treat one another in the church? You're not walking in love. If, if you've taken these disputable matters to a point where you're breaking fellowship and you're placing a stumbling block in front of people, not only in the church, but outside of the church, you are not walking in love. The sacrificial and unconditional love of Christ on the cross is in fact this love that Paul is talking about because that love is now ascribed to believers in him. And when we despise others because they have not yet seen the light of whatever truth that you, in your mind and in your heart, have figured out, the loving thing to do is not to try to lord your viewpoint over other people, but rather to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. That's the loving thing to do. And we have to see this. Paul is saying to the Gentiles, yes, I get it. 
The meat is clean. Christ has made the meat clean. Even if it has been sacrificed to idols, it's fine. But you are offending and causing your brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble by eating it, eating this meat in front of them and doing so with kind of a snarky attitude as well. This is not loving. Uh, those of you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, isn't this where we express a lot of our mocking and our judging and our derision? But could the motto of Twitter, for instance, be, if you want to mock people and stick your sophistication in your face, in, in their face, we have a platform for you. So now Paul brings this up in the context of their local church, first century Rome. But the problem in the 21st century is that now followers of Jesus are playing this stuff out on social media platforms everywhere for anyone in the world to see. And it's unpleasant. It's not that attractive to non-believers. Believe me, when non-believers see us fighting about non-essential matters, it's unattractive to them. It drives them away. It's a stumbling block. And by the way, it's also not that fun for a lot of believers either. So Paul keeps pushing us towards sacrificial love, the love that Jesus had for us on the cross that's been imputed to us and, can, and, and, and this love that Jesus continues to have for us. And Paul should push us toward this love. Here's a third thing on these seven, chat, uh, seven verses. Part of being strong, the Gentiles, is submitting yourself in love and compassion to the preferences of others. Now, listen to that. Okay, here you go. Listen to that. Part of being strong is to be able to submit yourself in love and compassion to the preferences of others. Do you think there might be some application of that notion in marriage? How about in, in church worship styles and music? How about in the workplace? How about in your neighborhood? How many of you are known for going to the mat on every single issue? I'm not sure that's the reputation you want to have. Here's one of the things that Paul is trying to do. He, it was, as was common in the early church, many believers were ready for Christ to come and reign now. In the early church, most believers believed that Jesus was coming back right away. His, his return was imminent. And they looked forward to that day with great anticipation. And they believed it was just around the corner. One of the things Paul is saying, especially in verse 17, look at verse 17, is that we have the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is with us now. So in a sense, if we could just redirect our own passion, priorities, and proclivities, we could have something resembling the kingdom of God now. We don't have to necessarily wait for the second coming. But we're all strong and weak, all of us, gonna have to submit ourselves to the love of the gospel. And so fourth, Paul says in verses 17 through 19, Get your priorities straight. This isn't about you. It's about the power, love, and mercy of God. And because we are beneficiaries of that power, love, and mercy, we are to therefore strive to serve others, even or especially in their weaknesses. Jesus died to bring peace. And we therefore must also be purveyors of that peace. So then he moves into these last four verses that close out chapter 14. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make an, another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. 
for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So interesting, he throws in wine now, this idea of wine. Uh, in ancient Rome, it wasn't just the meat that was sacrificed to idols, but the wine would often be poured out uh, to the idols from one container to the next, and then the wine would be distributed to the people, but it was another, another way of offering something to the gods. So it wasn't just meat, it was also certain types of wine they talked about. So here's how one scholar, his name is Thomas Schreiner, says it. If the strong do not act in love, the goodness of the gospel might be wrongly identified as evil, for their lack of love for the weak contradicts Christ's love. So you look at the first part of verse 20, Jesus went to the cross, but we're destroying that work on the cross by and through our dispute about things indifferent, things that aren't essential. And then the last part of verse 20, just because you have a right doesn't mean that you don't also have a responsibility. Rights come with responsibilities. And so we have a responsibility in love and patience to abstain in certain contexts from asserting our right. Uh, another way to look at it, the Gentiles, though strong and free in Christ, are not being loving and graceful. They're asking the Jews to give up a lifetime of firmly held beliefs, beliefs that are rooted in their scriptures, so that they can eat meat without feeling bad. Yeah, the Jews are also being unreasonable. I get that. They are being very unreasonable, but so are the Gentiles. And here's the thing we need to understand. Look at verse 22. Paul is not demanding or even asking the strong to surrender their convictions. Far from it. Rather, he's asking that their convictions should also lead them away from behaving in a way in front of their brother or sister that might injure the brother or sister in Christ. And here's why. Verse 23, the last verse. The weak one might be shamed in some way or pressured in some way into doing something that is against their conscience. In other words, they're doing it not in faith. What if the Jew starts eating meat, but they're not eating the meat in faith. They're eating it uh, because of social pressure. Well, that's going to lead to their own guilt and condemnation, and that's not helpful. The Jew might end up eating meat out of peer pressure or shame and not out of grace and conviction. Paul says that's not faith. That is sin. You Gentiles are a spiritual stumbling block to your Jewish brothers and sisters when you do this. This is not what Christ died for, so that those who are free in Christ could shame and guilt others. If a Jewish Christian is going to start eating meat, it must be because they have done what Paul asked earlier in the chapter. They are convinced that eating meat is now clean because of the gospel, because of Christ's finished work on the cross. This is an issue of unity and humility, and it applies to way more things than eating or not eating meat. I mean, think of all the issues that Christians fight about today in the name of the gospel. Here are just a few. Homeschooling, vaccines, breastfeeding, veganism, vegetarianism, politics, drinking alcohol, music, entertainment, language, immersion, free will, cigarettes and vaping, Junk food, cannabis, CBD products, naturopathy, lockdowns, death penalty, prisons, and viruses. And I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. Paul's not even insisting that the Gentiles stop their free in Christ behavior altogether. He's simply saying, use discretion, use wisdom, 
Use love to help you determine how you're going to express your freedom, when you're going to express your freedom. This is between you and God. Don't bring in others where you're going to become a stumbling block. Paul is not, here, here's this is important too, Paul is not making new laws to supersede old, old laws, but rather he's saying, know who you are in Christ and then act accordingly. Know who you are in Christ and then act accordingly. So there's the last half of Romans chapter 14. Once again, I just want to end with a few observations, statements that are based on these, uh, these verses that we just went through. Here's the first one. Nobody believes in the freedom of Christ more than Paul does. But it's also true that nobody believes in the call to love, grace, patience, and compassion of the Christian more than Paul does. Second of all, you and I, we need to take our thoughts and our opinions captive to Christ. We're commanded to do that uh, in, in the New Testament. We need to take our thoughts and opinions captive to Christ. Here's the third thing. The judgment seat of Christ, not my words, but I love this. The judgment seat of Christ is the great flushing of our sinful judgments of others. It's the great flushing of our judgment, uh, of our sinful judgment of others, because God is our judge. And here's the last thing. The kingdom of God does not exist in your right opinion, but in righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you all, Redemption Arcadia. Have a great week. We may be seeing you in person soon. We're hoping for that. We're hoping to have more details on the rollout of a phased reopening, possibly next week or the week after. Details, not the reopening, possibly next week or the week after. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. God bless you all. Have a great week. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus.